Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man who lost to Taylor Fritz worse at FIFA than I did, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. Even though that's the case, he did say he tried way <laughs> less with you. So I'm still going to go ahead and say I'm a better FIFA player than you. You know, I, again, was mathematics was not my major in college, but I do know that 5-0 is worse than 3-0. And it is. I, I'm not debating that. I also I, I beat you 1-0 earlier today. I also today. beat you 1-0, and you played. <laughs> it was a fluke game. It's 1-1 on aggregate. But also joining us today in the booth, and unfortunately he does not have a microphone in front of him, but if you hear him opening cookies, our very own producer, Max Fliegner. Max, hey, great shot. Hey, great shot. (laughs) He's he's just snacking on cookies his mama brought us. Uh, And thank you, Dr. Fliegner, for doing that. And of course, Max will chime in as he feels appropriate. A little housekeeping before we get into today's podcast. Of course, as always, we'll ask you to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. CrackedRackets.com. We have pieces about Georgia, USC, UCLA, all up there, all great reads. Of course, we've also got our next-gen series. I'm hoping to get this Michael Moe piece out as soon as possible. I'm going on Christmas break starting this Friday, so I should have a lot more time, and I'm looking forward to getting that out. Also, you know, you have to check out our cracked interviews podcast where we've had interviews recently with jared donaldson taylor fritz tommy paul you should see max dancing because he was on that taylor fritz podcast and it'll be his debut on the cracked interviews podcast so again go listen to that if you could rate subscribe write a review and again we're always about the five star ratings don't give us the four stars don't give us the three stars we don't have time for that Yeah, it's, that's, I think that's what all the D1 colleges said about us, too. You know, they don't have time for the three stars <laughs> and the four stars. They, they're just looking at the five stars and the blue They had time for Fliegner, but yeah. not us. Uh, it's yeah, okay. three, star, three star would be gel, er, generous for a Gruskin. <laughs> oh, I would agree. I'm sorry, I can't hear you with all the cookie in your mouth. Try that again. <laughs> I'd also like to say that this is going to be our last podcast in 2017. You know, we want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. We've had a ton of fun starting this podcast. Max, I remember when I pestered you about this in April, and you told me I was out of my mind, and look where we are now. That's so fun. I was about to bring up uh, when you you first brought up this idea. I didn't think you were out of your mind. I just said, I don't think I have time, which I don't, (laughs) but somehow we made this work. And, yeah, I also have to give a big shout-out to, to Alex uh, for putting a lot of time and effort into this, pushing me to do this. Uh, and thank you to everyone who, who listens. Um, and also, Fliegner, my guy, who no, absolutely. spends a gross amount of time helping <laughs> us out here. Because, oh, man, if you left the two of us up to, <laughs> up to it, we would not have had the same success we well, do right now. When the Russians hack my phone conversations and they read some of the things I've said to Fliegner during our production sessions – you're not going to look very kindly upon me. And so, seriously, Max Fliegner, thank you so much. We could not have done this without you. We also want to thank Dalton Thiedemann, Alex Areza, Daniel Westoff, you know, the entire cra- – Alex Leopold, I can't forget him. He'll get also upset. Also our guy, Parsa. Oh, of so. course. Just the whole Cracked Rackets team. It's been a pleasure for us to join you guys, and, you know, we've really appreciated what we've done in 2017, and we are looking forward to a very fun 2018. But – Enough sappy stuff. Let's get into today's podcast. Of course, we're continuing our next-gen series, a series we are very much looking forward to finishing as we approach the 2018 Australian Open. 
Keeping with our tradition of going by age, today's podcast is going to be a special feature on one of our next-gen guys, the giant of the bunch. He casts a shadow over the entire next-gen group. That, of course, is Riley Opelka. Max, tell us a little... (laughs) Cue the drum roll. But, Max, tell us a little bit about Riley Opelka. All right, well... Obviously, the kid's seven foot, so... Seven foot? Okay, that's our first sticking point. 6'11". I saw him being measured in that YouTube video. I know you watched it, too. It looked like they were stopping a little short. He probably said to them, I don't really want to be listed as seven foot. Yeah, but, I mean, I I wouldn't want to be seven feet either, but let's let's be honest. The kid is seven foot. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Opelka was uh, born in St. Joseph, Michigan. He's 20 years old. We've got him listed at 6'11", 220, but we, we know he's seven foot. Uh, has a pretty fun social media presence. Seems like kind of a fun guy, except for the fact that he's sponsored by New Balance. <laughs> I like everything about him and his social media, except for that. Come on, man. You could you'd be sponsored by anyone, and you went for New Balance? So that's our first sticking point, and I guess I'm going to ride with Team New Balance on this one. One, our very own Max Fliegner rocked the New Balance for Dartmouth his <laughs> freshman and sophomore year. We like to call it No Balance. Uh, we'll have to cut that so he doesn't get in trouble with the NCAA, but <laughs> yes, he's not the fondest. But my man Milos Raonic rocking in the top five, rocking New Balance. You know, it's something different. It allows him to stand out. And as someone who has a unique physical presence and could be a unique character in tennis, I don't mind him branching out. What I don't like is the mulch ten- or the mulch clothing. I, really? what, what is mulch clothing? I don't get it. It, it. I mean, it's all natural made clothing. It looks pretty cool. It's kind of that like European cut style. I, I kind of like it. I European cut style. That shows how much I know about fashion. I have no idea what that means. And I also could be totally wrong, and, and I'm hurting their brand image by, <laughs> by saying it's something it's not. But Also, this is just a fun little side note, and I'm sorry, but I just notice on the screen it popped up it said taylor fritz is playing fifa again that was kind of funny (laughs) so nice we'll be able to monitor his playing from now on (laughs) but no like you said opelka really fun social media presence you know he's got photos with clay thompson mac miller packers player ty montgomery vin diesel and of course tommy paul and a couple cute girls oh Uh, um i was hyped to see that good for him yeah no tommy paul actually gives us the inside scoop about that little instagram occasion with them i think at universal park uh so go check that out on cracked interviews it's a really funny story as you can imagine opelka being around seven feet had some trouble getting onto the rides so definitely go (laughs) check that out um but yeah Opelka seems like a really fun guy. You know, you kind of ignored my joke, but I do want to mention this real quick. Given that he moved to the academies at such a young age, in every photo of young Opelka, who do you see next to him? Tommy Paul. Yeah, definitely his best friend. You know, clearly they're some would uh, say they're butt buddies, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they they clearly have a great relationship. That's cool. It's cool to be best friends with a guy who's going through the same things that you are, especially at a at a young age. It's hard to go on tour and just kind of do your thing so it must be nice to have someone like Tommy with them all the time I agree with you it looks really fun it looks like they're embracing that lifestyle of being young professionals and you know you can tell they're getting their work in because you do see them at the training center in Orlando but again having fun sticking together building camaraderie that's good for American tennis in general and speaking of the work they put in, let's talk a little bit about Opelka's game so obviously he's seven foot has a huge serve Uh, I just want to, real quick, the over-under, how many times are you going to say he's seven foot on this podcast? You know, 
we'll put the over under at nine. I've probably already said it what five times. <laughs> I was so, gonna say to the listener who more. to the listener who's willing to keep track of that, we will let you on the pod. <laughs> he's playing FIFA again. Oh, that's so funny. To the listener who's willing to track how many times he says it, let us know and uh we'll put the over under at seven and a half. But go on, his <laughs> okay. game style. Anyways, yeah, so has a big serve, loves to combine that with a big one two punch on the forehand. Uh, also has a pretty good backhand, uh, nothing too much to complain there. Uh, he uses, utilizes the serve and volley a little bit, but, uh, it doesn't seem like he's as comfortable at the net as he is at the baseline, which is something that we can discuss a little bit further later. And we argue his game, uh, moves pretty well for his height. I think he moves probably the, the best of the guys that are his height. I would compare him. Well, maybe I'll save the comparisons for later, but <laughs> I, like I do think he moves uh, pretty well for his size and, Overall, has a has a pretty aggressive game. We see him trying to end points early, which is probably how he should be playing as a as a seven footer. Yeah, there's another one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much his game style. Oh, hey, great shot. Riley's a player who had a ton of junior success. You know, won Kalamazoo Boys 18 doubles with Taylor Fritz. Won an international hardcourt Grade One ITF championship. Won the Eddie Her. Uh, you know, was ranked number four in the world as a junior. He's had a lot of success. But when was the moment you became aware of Opelka? You know, it's funny. I thinking back on when I used to look at all of the the junior tournaments and some of the big names. He wasn't a name that always stuck out to me. But now that I think about it, he really was a huge presence in those big junior tournaments. And uh, it wasn't until he got some good results on the Pro Tour that I kind of really focused on him and, and looked back and said, wow, he was someone who had a great junior career. And uh, it, it kind of made me realize that I did have uh, an awareness of who he was, but didn't really appreciate the the skill that he brought. I think that's a fair point. In 2014, Riley won a less heralded title, the International Hardcourt title, which Colette Lewis, again, provides highlights for. And I see this six-seven skinny kid, and I think to myself, wow, he moves really well for someone that height. And obviously, you see the serve as a tool, but his ground stroke fundamentals are what really stuck out to me. And, you know, you mentioned his backhand being just okay. I disagree. I think it's exceptional. I think even then, you could see he had the backhand down the line. No, I, I agree. I think we, we were watching some highlights earlier against Mo and the backhand on the line's a weapon and also something kinda cool when we were in Orlando for nationals, we saw him playing and I think both of our first reaction was it's pretty incredible that he's able to rip the backhand the way he does and get that low when he's that tall and just that far above the ground. It's pretty impressive. I will say our first reaction was Oh, look, that's Riley Opelka. And you said, who the hell is Riley Opelka? Yes, you did. That was the moment you became aware of him. <laughs> that's the real story. <laughs> the real moment. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God. You're like a seven-footer who's clearly training here. Oh, seven-footer, ding. Um, but, <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> we'll see. We'll count it. You know, I mentioned that international hardcore title, but when you're talking about defining moments of his career, it has to be his 2015 Junior Wimbledon title, no, right? No. Yeah, I mean... For him to come in unseated, win a bunch of matches, you know, he beats Fritz, he beats Mikhail Yimmer, another next-gen guy. He played really well, and he showed his versatility on grass. Yeah, I agree, and and I think that's, uh, like you said, it's his defining moment. I think it's a lot of the next-gen guys' defining moments. If you're able to capture a junior Grand Slam, it just 
proves that you're ready for the next step, and I think it defines his junior career. Well, I'm glad we're talking about his junior Wimbledon, because that brings me to my first gimmick of the day. Fligner, cue the new sound effect. It's time for Alex's Trivia. So, Max, Uh since 2000, nine American junior boys have combined to win 11 junior slams. Name the nine boys and name the 11 occasions. Oh, jeez. That's a lot of names. Nine? Uh, That's not bad. Uh, well, uh, so Opelka is one of the nine. Opelka, Wimbledon 2015. Fritz. What What Wimbledon. tournament? Fritz did not win oh, Wimbledon. Opelka did. Sorry. Um, U.S. Open. Yeah, Opelka won Wimbledon. Opelka also won a... Uh, sorry, not um, I didn't even mean to say Opelka. Oh, come um, on. Tommy Paul there we won go. a French. There we go. Uh, that's we, three and three. That's three. 2014. Taylor Fritz has... You already mentioned him. Oh, God. I'm, like, repeating people. He went to wake... Yeah, you have Alzheimer's. <sighs> Dude, this, uh, I, I the literally... final has you The final me. is screwing me. Um, Think Wake Forest. Oh, my God. You don't listen during these podcasts. <laughs> no, I do. I, I, I'm trying to... Th- I, I had someone in mind. I'm not even listening to what you're oh, saying. Oh, he's dogging. He's going to Wikipedia. No, I'm not. I was, I was just looking at the next-gen guys, and, and I'm trying to think, like, who... One, one. Okay, well, which non-next-gen guys have done it? Who had really good junior careers? I'll give you a hint. Two of these guys are Did now retired. Did Donaldson win a... Not Donaldson, but win? there is a Donald in one of their names. <laughs> there is a Donald. Uh, D. Young. Donald Young won how many? He won a U.S. Open. He did not win a U.S. Open. He won a Wimbledon? He won a Wimbledon and an Australian Open. So that's four and five, yes. I also wasn't considering D. Young in this group. Since 2000. There's one person oh. who okay. I'll give you another hint. This player won two junior slams. He's also won a real slam in singles. He's also won a real slam, like a professional slam. So, so are we talking since 2000? Yeah. So Come we're on. talking Andy. Andy Roddick won two. He won the Aussie and U.S. Open what? in 2000. Oh, in 2000. Okay, yeah, that's I why. That's why I extended it to yeah, that I date. Didn't, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, Pre Nicholas Gruskin. Let's see who else. That is five guys, seven occasions. Oh, come on. You have to guess. Three others are very obvious. The the last one you won't get. 2010 U.S. Open. This guy is now in the top ten. Jack Sock. Sock won one? U.S. Open. 2011. This guy, it's not delivery. It's Bjorno. Bjorn Fratangelo. Wow, Fratangelo won one? 2011 French Open. God, 2014, Noah Rubin. We literally did a podcast oh, talking about damn. him. He won Wimbledon. And the last one, I just want to see if you can guess this player's name. He was married to, uh, what's the show with the guy who's the scientist? Um, oh, Big Bang Theory. He was oh, married so. to the, the woman in the Big Bang Theory, the blonde. That's so Ryan Sweeting. Now retired. Wow, yeah, Sweden used to be good. Won the 2005 U.S. Open. So, those are the nine. Not your best trivia performance, but we'll let that slide. I'm tired. (laughs) So, again, yeah, we're we're recording this around midnight on a Wednesday, so we apologize. Post-international finance economics final. Oh, my God, you might say that more than you say he's seven feet. (laughs) But, defining moment of the junior career, definitely the junior slam. Riley won at Wimbledon. I do want to ask you, you've made this point on previous podcasts, when a player wins a junior slam, they do not need to go to college. No college. You don't think Riley had to go? Nope. Why not? He He's the kind of guy, I think even more so than some of the other players, he's the kind of guy that definitely needs to go on tour. He needs to go and take his big serve, 
take his big forehand, learn how to control the court when he's playing some of these top guys. I, I don't think he needs to go to college, play against some kids who may not even be able to handle his serve. He needs to go up against the best returners in the world, learn how it's going to be when they're actually bringing his serve back into the court, and figure it out from there. He definitely didn't. The difference between a John Isner and a Riley Opelka, Opelka grew up in Boca Raton. He's been a part of the USTA system. So in terms of training, he's had a higher well, level. you're saying Greensboro, North Carolina isn't the, <laughs> the tennis hub of the world? Well, look at your backhand. <laughs> oh, nice. Great shot. <laughs> Thank you. But no, it's not that North Carolina is anything bad. It's that the USTA is supposed to be well, the I best of the best. And you wonder why Riley's forehand, his backhand technique is so refined. It's because he spent time there yeah they so, worked on his ground strokes and i, I agree you. his training you know he's already training at a high level but you saw how beneficial it was for isner to grow into his body and so do you consider opelka already physically developed and mature enough to be on tour yeah i really do i think he's done enough growing as far as his physical attributes go to you know say there isn't a drastic there's not going to be a drastic difference in his physical growth over the next couple years and like i said i think he just needs this time to figure it out on tour get used to that pace get used to the balls coming back and and see what happens you did mention that he struggled with his volleys you think his volleys are at a point though where he's going to be okay holding serve still no you're right i that is something that I, i was starting to think about and i've always said that i think college is a great way for players to get better at doubles. I know doubles. you have. That's why I bring this I know, up. I know. It's a great way to get better at doubles. Uh, but he did have a junior title with Fritz. Yeah, but that's Kalamazoo. And, you know, not to speak for juniors, but I imagine the kids entering that tournament see a pairing of Fritz and Opelka and think, holy Right, and that's fair. But clearly he had some doubles skill. And there is a very big difference between volleying in doubles and volleying in singles. I think this is, and, and this is where we'll... We'll talk a little bit about his game. I, I think that it's something that he is struggling with a little bit is uh, the closing volley, especially when he comes in off his forehands. It's something that he'll work on. And sure, could he have worked on it in college? Yes. But if that is his biggest struggle as a pro, that's something that is the most easy to fix, in my opinion, once you've made it there. Well, just to finish the college conversation, you know, we ripped on New Balance, we ripped on Mulch a little bit earlier, but when you have those sponsorships lined up, given how expensive it is to play a pro tennis career, you have to take your chances. You don't want to risk losing the money. And so, again, Opelka was training for this his entire life. Once you have that junior slam title, it kind of confirms your decision. So, yes, he finished his junior career a little bit injured, and he got off to a slow start in his pro career. But I agree with you. He made the right decision. We'll go a little bit out of order, but in terms of my least favorite thing right now, it's definitely his volleys. And, you know, sometimes he gets a little reckless with his returns trying to end points, and it seems like it's because he's not as comfortable taking a 75% return and following it in because like you mentioned, his first volley is not that great yet. That being said, I do enjoy how willing he is to move forward. You do see him look for a lot of opportunities, and I really do enjoy how aggressive he is on the return. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think, you know, besides the fact that he has a weak volley, he's willing to put it on the line, and he's it almost looks like he's using these matches as a way to learn, and I love that. I love that he's willing to go for it even though his first volleys are weak. The other thing that 
I found interesting and we talked a little bit about was uh, the high forehand. I think he has a great forehand. Like we said, he has great ground strokes, technically sound. But I guess there's something about being that tall that when it gets high, he's not used to the ball being that high. And so he gets this kind of awkward, slappy-looking shot whenever the ball gets you know close to shoulder level for him no the match we watched was the Michael Moe match and that was during his 2016 run to the Charlottesville Challenger yeah. title you guys can find all of these highlights on YouTube but I agree with you Michael Moe a player we will cover in this series later on tremendous athlete moves incredibly well kind of is the type of athlete built to beat someone as tall as Riley someone who will keep getting to the ball and make Opelka hit that extra shot and given that Opelka is seven feet you don't expect him to be able to last in longer rallies one x factor that needs to be said in this match that's a match played indoors in Charlottesville and being tall it's going to help you find your serve but you mentioned the ball getting up on Opelka. It didn't matter. He was hitting the forehand so aggressively, inside in, inside out. Didn't matter. Uh, that was the thing I was going to say. I, I think my favorite part about his game is the fact that he is so aggressive. I think there are times where I watch some of the bigger guys like Isner, and they don't take advantage of the fact that they can hit the ball harder than almost all of these other guys. That is the type of game that they have to play as seven-footers, and if they don't, they're going to lose. So... I really love the fact that he is willing to always be aggressive on his forehand. He takes his backhand opportunities down the lines, and he's really aggressive on those second serves. I think sometimes maybe a little bit too aggressive on the second serve. You know, you want to make sure you're still bringing yourself into the point. But, you know, I got to say, he, he's committed to being aggressive, and I, and I really respect that. I mentioned this earlier. His backhand down the line, particularly when he's willing to step into it and be aggressive, I love it. It's one it's, of my favorite things. It's dangerous. Things. Yeah, and you look at, again, the fundamentals, Opelka's ability to, you know, to stay consistent on the ground strokes. He actually was moving against Mo pretty well side to side, but other people he beat in that tournament, Dennis Kudla, Mackenzie McDonald, he was able to dictate so well, and given how reliable Opelka's first serve is, is, he's going to be in a ton of matches. One thing we you know we noticed through his 2017 season that he struggled with, a lot of 7-6 third set losses. He's losing to Radu Elbot in the t- Tokyo ATP 500 quality, 7-6 in the third. He's losing to Dol- Dolgopolov in Cincy qualities. He's losing to Medvedev first round of the City Open. Shapovalov, Sandgriv, Rajiv Ram, you know, that's six times right there. And when you're playing, you know, big man tennis, oftentimes you're going to have 7-6 sets. And with the margins being so thin you worry about things like that yeah i mean i was i first want to touch on the, the yeah there are a lot of points there, there sorry there like you said it's late yeah the the first thing i want you know his backhand if he was able to be comfortable enough to take that and come in and and volley off those more often that's where i think he could be really dangerous you know he doesn't always follow in on those backhand down the lines and if he could let me tell you that's that's a scary combination to have but don't you think there's something to his patience, the idea that he does yeah, wait for his opportunity? I, I agree. I think he's I think he's, you know, mature in his shot selection and he he isn't too aggressive to the point where he's rash and, and makes, you know, bad decisions. See, that's where I disagree. Sorry to cut you off, but I think one thing I also don't like is because he acts look, who am I to say I'm terrible on the court, but sometimes he does let it get to his head and he does get a little frustrated. Yeah, but at the same time, he could be aggressive to the point where he's just trying to slap winners left and right, and he's still constructing points. And the fact that he's not coming in as much as he could be means I think he is being a little bit mature in his shot choice and and isn't, you know, 
getting frustrated and just trying to end points quickly. Well, I do love that he yells a dinger whenever he hits an ace. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we saw him get behind in certain games against Mo, against McDonald, where he's using that first serve to get out of situations. And you're right, that does display mental toughness for someone who's going to be a big server. That's a big thing. In terms of mental toughness, it's hard when Riley loses nine first-round matches in 2017. That's just a di- that's a disappointment, and that's something, you know, for a 20-year-old kid to have to rebound from. That's incredibly difficult. You know, you do poorly on one final, and you're bummed tonight. And so <laughs> imagine what it's like to lose nine first-round matches when that's your profession. Right, and, and that's something that I, I think is super important to look at in his career so far. He has had a ton of of 7-6 losses in the third set. And, you know, some can say that that's a bad sign and that, you know, he's not able to close, but I think that's a really positive sign on his future. I think the fact that he's able to take these top guys to a third set and is just narrowly, you know, losing these matches, it's, it's just a small margin. And, and once he gets more comfortable to take the big shots on the on the big points and, follow through on some of these seven, six sets. I think you're going to see him start rising in the rankings and and doing a lot better in these big tournaments. Can I just say, it's amazing to see you defend Opelka, given that before we watched highlights of him before this podcast, you were not high on Opelka. And if you listen back to our podcast, which I know you never do, you always ripped on him. And so it's just amazing. And I am incredibly high on Opelka, and we'll get to that when we have our power rankings. But it's really encouraging to see you defend him because, again, for someone who's seven feet, his skills on the court are remarkable. I completely agree, and and I will say, uh, Opelka, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I I judge you a little bit too hard for being a (laughs) seven-footer. It wasn't until recently that I've really started to appreciate you are a better mover than some of the other He moves side to side well. He does. And, uh, yeah, I I think I'm starting to appreciate your game a little more, and and I think you do have... Uh, a really strong future ahead of you. And before I get into uh, who your pro comparison is, we're going to get to you with a quick changeover chat. You meant a quick fake ad, right? Yeah, hold on. You messed up. You mean, a, yeah, a quick oh, fake God. ad, not a changeover chat. Okay. Um, we're going to come to you with a quick fake advertisement. And now, a new fake advertisement from our new sponsor, The Grunt App. The Grunt App. Uh. Uh. Oh! Uh. Uh. What? The Grunt Tap. Welcome back to... Hey. Great shot. Yeah, that's, that's how I'm feeling yeah. too. <laughs> I feel. All right, let's boost up the energy. It's late, Quick 10 woo! jumping jacks. No, we're jumping jacks. Are we, what, in third grade again? No, but you know who does a lot of jumping jacks? My pro comparison for Riley Opelka. <laughs> transition. Keep going, keep going. Oh, well, I got to remember who my pro comparison <laughs> is. can't even remember. All right. Well, I don't think he has a pro comparison, so I'll, I'll start with this. Isn't this the second guy you've done that to? You said that about Eubanks as well. Yeah, and, and I think it's true. I think these guys are very unique. If I had to, you know, make a combination, I think that Opelka is a Delpo and John Isner. And, you know, that that seems somewhat obvious, but I think it's true. I think if you really took the ground strokes of Del Potro and put them on Isner, you'd have Opelka. Opelka moves as well as Delpo, maybe even a little bit better, which I know. Oh, my Alex God. I'm looking argue. at Fliegner saying this he's is the re- hottest take he's, he's ever given. His eyes. Oh, my God. He has God. the serve of Isner. He returns pretty well. I think it's a pretty good combination. 
Well, I just want to say I think the laziest comparison anyone can make I is know, to it's... simply call Opelka the next John Isner. Well, okay, I didn't Look, say at eight... that. Okay. I didn't say no, no, I know that, John but Isner. I'm just saying for other people, at age 20, John Isner was just finishing his second season at the University of Georgia. Right. He took home an NCAA doubles title and received All-American. However, he was probably 200 pounds about back then. He didn't earn his first ATP point until about four months after his 20th birthday, and by the time he turned 21, he had barely cracked the top 1,000 of the rankings. Also, if I can just make a quick point, he won an NCAA doubles title, and his volleys still aren't that good. It's not like he came to the pro tour and had this redefined volley game that allowed him to be aggressive i mean well you know i want john isner to come on the podcast so i'm going to disagree with you i think isner has really nice instincts at the net i think he covers it well soft i I do no see that's where i disagree with you i and agree with your earlier point i think he's in the right positions i think his hands just aren't that good i don't think his hands are bad i don't know max Wigner, tie-breaking vote what do you think about his hands are not good he he says the hands (laughs) are not good if we're comparing him to like the general good volleyer and or a good athlete on the tour that has soft hands sure but for these okay well it's that much more important to him because he's always at the net i've seen him hit some nice drop well, of course volleys. he has hit some excellent volleys, and that's a testament to him always being in the right position all right anyways i love yeah. you john you're my greens but so man. yes this is not to take anything <laughs> away from isner but again those were the things he had accomplished at this age opelka by now Already been ranked inside the top 200. He's won a challenger title. He's won a junior slam. He's made the semifinal of Atlanta in ATP 500. He's already filling out his body. I just think he's so much further along. And actually, in a YouTube video of Isner and Opelka that you can see, and you really should go check out, Isner says the same thing. He says Opelka's further along. And we mentioned this earlier, the ground stroke fundamentals for Opelka. So solid. Where do you have him as far as current ability on your next-gen ranking Well, no, I want to get into my pro comparison first. That's fair. (laughs) So, I think it's a cross between a slightly slower Kevin Anderson. I I think you're crazy. He doesn't move better than Delpo. You're wrong. Yeah, it's a stretch, but he moves pretty close. Also, Delpo's forehand is significantly better, but Opelka does have a nice backhand, and Opelka's serve continues to have upside. So I think he's got some of the mobility of a Kevin Anderson with the power of an Isner and maybe even a Del Potro. But again, like you said, no specific one player, a lot of different elements, and that's why I'm so excited about him. And that's why in terms of my power rankings, and that's how you do a segue, I would... (laughs) I had a segue, I was just... I know, I'm sorry, I just wanted to finish my little portion. But in terms of where I have him currently ranked, I have Opelka at number five. And the reason I have him there, let's talk about his results this year. Again, lost a bunch of first-round matches, but he did qualify for the Australian Open and go five sets with Goffin. He did qualify in Montreal. He did qualify, you know, a couple other places as well, and he beat Ernesto Escobedo this year. He lost a lot of close matches to good players. I just think on Riley's day, given his serve, it's awfully tough to play him. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I mean, I think that... (laughs) Oh, God. You you basically took my pro comparison and, like, altered it and then said that I think he's as good as Delpo and well I'm frustrated right I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna get no, too no, far please. into this I'm sorry tell me why you think I was wrong what did I do I didn't think I don't think you're wrong but you took my pro comparison said that he doesn't have as good ground strokes as Delpo which I never said I said I think he has similar ground strokes because he's able to you know maintain a good baseline game with other top guys 
unlike Isner sometimes where he, he isn't able to maintain as good of a baseline rally. And I think that was the comparison I was trying to make. Well, I guess where I disagree with you is that in terms of Opelka's dictating, I think he has to take more slaps. And again, that's a testament to his forehand form being a little bit weird. Whereas in Del Potro can maneuver the point, use his big forehand to move his opponent around and open up his opportunity. Whereas Opelka is more likely to take a risk and a testament to how good his game is, is you see him doing well. You know, he beats a Kevin Anderson. He beats Donald Young in Atlanta in 2016. That was him taking risks and it working. Well, right. And he'll never, you know, shape the ball like Del Pocha. That's not going to be his game style. I just think that the way that he... The raw power, maybe? Yeah, the raw power. The way, I think the way he strokes the ball, too, is, is somewhat similar. I, I, I just don't see that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, especially just the forehand. It's a little more mechanic for Opelka, where it's much more a natural swing for Delpo. Look, this is the Opelka pod, not the Delpo yeah, pod. Yeah, we can argue that. But yeah, that. I guess in terms of mechanics, we'll get into that. But I have him number five. Players we've talked about who I have ahead of him. Donaldson in terms of his current form. And then three other guys I have ahead of him who we have not talked about yet. But I have him above Escobedo, above Paul, above Ruben, above Wow. Ebanks. See, I, I don't have him in front of Escobedo or Paul. I've got him currently also below another couple guys that we haven't talked about yet, but I've got him currently at number seven. Number seven? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I just think there are other guys who are stronger than him. Well, I disagree with you, and the match I'll turn to again, the GoFan match. He loses that yeah, match in yeah, three sets. Or, yeah, you're sorry. sorry. Five setter, he yeah. loses that one in five sets. That's a match he loses 6-4, 4-6, 6-2, 4-6, 6-4. That's just proof that when Opelka serves well, when he reaches that point where he's more consistent with his first serve percentage, when his volleys get a little bit better, because I think he does have decent hands, it's just going to be hard to break him. And that's why, in terms of his floor, you know, high floor player, he's number five right now for me. Even if he doesn't get that much better, he'll be a threat. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think... I will say a lot of these next gen guys have pretty close matches with some of the They're all really top good. players, right? And and so I'm not sure necessarily that, that is a testament to whether or not he should be ranked higher on this list or not. I have him at number 6 on my potential. Really? And you know, let's let's be clear, I made this list a long time ago. <laughs> uh I think you know, I might move him up a spot. Uh, I think there's just a couple of other guys who have more overall defined games that you know are more suited to tennis i i i'm I'm reverting back a little bit to your old argument my old argument that it's just hard for a seven footer to make it far on tour obviously isner has done it he's as close of a comparison as you're gonna get to him because of height and i just think it's tough i really do so who has a higher floor to you jared donaldson or riley opelka you know opelka might have a higher floor I might have to admit that. Even with how good Donaldson already has proven to be, given how powerful it, like he is I said, it's, Yeah, sorry, it's I'm close. just looking. I think, I think it's a close floor, but Donaldson just has a higher ceiling, and that's why I've got Donaldson at number one on my potential list. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's really interesting. Dalton Thiedemann, you know, the cracked racket czar, number five. Alex Areza, number five. Parker Thiedemann, number seven. Daniel Westoff, number eight. You know where I have Opelka? Number two. Yeah, exactly. I am so high on his game. You mentioned that. His serve is just so... He's going to impose his will. His serve will continue to get better, and he's going to hold serve and become a better tiebreaker player. Yeah, and he's had these seven success, and like like we were talking about, if he can come through on those, he comes through on a couple of those sets, 
He's ranked in the top 100, if not it, better than Exactly. That. It's a completely I different agree. year. I, I don't disagree with that. I just think that it's hard to keep up that level. You're relying on you know, a few points here and there all the time, that's hard to maintain. Yeah, but that's something, if you're continually putting yourselves in 7-6 scenarios, you're going to... 7-6. If you're continually putting yourself in 7-6 scenarios, you're going to get better at it. Yeah, and I think that's probably been the case for Isner, but like I said, hard to maintain that. That's true, and I really thought you were going to push me harder than that, but I think I've softened you to this argument that Opelka could be really good. I think he can be really good. I never said he wasn't going to be really good. I just I, I will refuse to say that he, that's the kind of player that will break the top 10, be consistently in deep rounds of Grand Slams. It's so, just too hard. But let's say Opelka maximizes his strengths. His serve becomes even more lethal, you know, Isner-like. That's fine. I, I don't disagree that, you know— if I had to think about where he might end up in his career, he could definitely end up in the top 20, and, you know, he could make it semi-far in some of these Grand Slams, but like I said, when you get into those top 20 rankings, the guys are just too well-rounded. Their returns are too good. Their ground stroke games are too good. Overall, I just don't think he has the right style of play to be a contender in a final of a grand slam. It's just because you value the baseline play too much. It's the game is too much revolved around it. Unless the game shifts, which it has, you know, from the olden days, it's, it's going to be hard for him. So you said projecting where, where do you have his outcome? You think he's going to be a top 50 player? Realistically, I see him floating between, I don't know, 20 and 40, 20 and 40. So like a Steve Johnson type where he's a threat in a lot of tournaments, but might not make a a deep run in a second week. Yeah. I, I would say that's, that's pretty much where I see him. Am I expecting him to do this in 2018? No, probably not. I hope but, not. But if you're asking me in 2022, which of these next-gen guys is probably going to be a threat in a second week of a Grand Slam, I'd say, oh, it's got to be Riley Opelka at Wimbledon. The guy's just a monster. He's so aggressive. I see him, you know, 20 to 40 is not a bad idea because I just don't know if he'll play a full year and 7-6 losses, again, being so thin, they'll just toss and turn with the results. I don't hate that, but I do see him being a contender in second weeks. And you know what? I guess we'll just have to wait till 2022, look back at this pod, and see if your <laughs> prediction comes right. If we're still doing this in 2022, do you think I'll still have hair on my head? That is so debatable. I'm going okay. to I'm gonna err on the side of no. Do you think one of us will be married? Oh, God, I hope not. Oh, let's hope our moms don't hear that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. Well, Riley Opelka, as you can tell, we're, I'm very high in your future, and I think I'm converting Max Rothman as well. I'm getting there. For the last time in 2017... We want to do a changeover chat, but before we do that, one last fake advertisement, and we'll be right back with you. Hey, hey, John. <laughs> that's a great looking shot over there. Let me tell you, that's a great shot. All right, Captain. I'm Batman. <laughs> hey, great shot. You think I can hit the ball like that? I love tennis. Forehands are my favorite. I lost Taylor Fritz 5-0 in FIFA. I have to write him an apology, but I still love Dennis. That was not bad. And I will save this city <laughs> with serves and returns. <laughs> All right, we've lost it. I'll stick with that. We've got about 10 minutes left in us, so let's get to everyone's favorite segment. Fliegner, cue the drum roll.
It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. Beautiful key. So, given that it's our last... (laughs) Sorry? I said even though it was a little nasally. (laughs) It was fine. Thanks. Given that this is our last podcast of 2017, the only thing we have yet to talk about, the ATP year-end awards. Yes, sir. We're going to go through a... All of those results. We're also going to go through some awards I made up along the way. It's up to you, the listener, to tell which is real and which is fake. We'll start with this one, Player of the Year, real or fake? We'll start with uh, the fake one. (laughs) The fake Player of the Year to me, Alex Virev. I mean, for a guy who's 20 years old (laughs) to be breaking the top five, winning a Masters event, you know, he's winning a Masters event before the Chilich generation, the Rayonich generation is able to do that. Obviously, Jack Sock changed that at the end of the year, but, you know, Zverev has that success on clay. No, he didn't make the second weekend of any major event, and that's what you hold against him in the real award, but since this is my fake ATP player of the year, I'm giving it to Zverev. Success, youth, he's got it all. So I think it should be Federer. Um, you know, I think it's somewhat of a common uh, theme among among tennis fans that he should should be the player of the year. The actual recipient of the award was Nadal. The current way that the award works is it is given to the player who ends the year as the world number one. That hasn't been the case in previous years, but because it is now, Nadal received it. Had it been like it was in the previous years, I think it should go to Federer. Okay, so why Fed? Why not Nadal? I, I'm not saying I disagree with you because, to be honest, I don't really care about this award, considering you're right, they give it to the number one yeah. player at the end of the year. But, I mean, I think for Federer to have done it now, he he did it, you know, after not such a great year last year. Nadal's been a little more consistent. I think he deserved to have the player of the year. He was very successful. He's older. I just think it goes to him. I know Nadal had more titles, and again, I would he put did. an I would put an asterisk next to the next to this award just because of how many injuries there were. Yeah, given how old Fed and Nadal. Year. Yeah, I can't believe they won two majors. I don't know what we're gonna look back on and what we'll say when we think 2017 ATP season. I'm gonna try and focus on the young guys because you know that's our thing here on the Great Shot Podcast. Okay, our next award, the White Goodman Nobody Makes Me Bleed My Own Blood Award. Obviously, that is from Dodgeball, and that is not a real award, but this is to the player I would least like to f*** with on tour. Given his run at this year's U.S. Open, I am not f***ing with Juan Martin Del Potro. That is a man on a mission who has not played much tennis. Fliegner, I'm sorry for the multiple quacks. It's late. But that is just a man who is here to enjoy his time on court and get his results. See, when you first said that award, I thought you literally meant, like, who would you not want to mess with off the court? Like, who, who's going to beat you up? Who's going to, you know, All win of them. in a fight? I'm not the toughest. Curious. I am not messing with him or Warinka. I think Warinka would throw a mean right hook. Dude, just ask uh, Kokonakis. <laughs> oh, boy. No, who's so yours goes to Warinka and Curious. I mean, Del Potro was great. I just like that award. Um, okay, another quick one. The Justice League-type flop of the year. This is for something, obviously, we expected to do really well that ended up sucking. Uh, my Justice League flop of the year, Bernard Tomich. Guy freaking sucks now. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, that's more like a a flop of the last couple years. Um, if I had to choose someone, I gotta say TM. Even though he's up there and, you know, has done pretty well over the season, he just ended terribly, and I, I just... I don't know. I didn't expect that from him, so I'm going to say that's my flop. Um, no, that's an interesting take. Real quick, before we go, I just want to hear Fliegner from across the room. Fliegner, ATP Player of the Year. Mm, Federer. He says Federer. White Goodman, Nobody Makes Me Bleed My Own Blood Award. 
Oh, man. I'm going to go with Kyrgios. He says Kyrgios as well. You convinced him, Max yeah. Rothman. Justice League flop of the year. Um, it could be... What about Chilich in the Wimbledon finals? <laughs> Underrated finalist for this award. He cried. <laughs> Come on. He did. It's pretty soft. That's something we deserve to rip on. Or uh, Dan Evans for doing too much blow. Because <laughs> he's out. It's late. We can have fun. Let's get some laughs going. It's our last pot of the year. All right, I'm going to save that other fun award and do another real one. ATP star of tomorrow. This goes to the youngest player ranked in the top 100. This year, that award goes to Denis Shapovalov. You say Shapovalov. Shapovalov. Okay. ATP star. We'll, we'll limit this to players under 21 and could be considered next-geners. Who's the guy you're most excited about? Yeah, I, I have to go with Shapovalov. Uh, he, he also even over Zverev. Yeah, over Zverev. He, wow. Seriously, with hot the take way, Jones with the way he played at the end of the year, I really do find him to be the star of tomorrow. I also want to say that he did win the most improved player of the year, and I would say that's the case. I mean, he started the year, I want to say in the low one hundreds, high well low. Shapovalov. Yeah. Oh, you mean like five hundred range, something like like is that what you mean by low one hundreds? Like in the rankings, or you think like one hundred eighty? Because he was lower than that before the year, like mid. I want, yeah, because I was gonna say like mid year he was probably one fifty. Yeah, he and then he made a freaking final of it, or not a final, a semifinal of a Masters event. <laughs> right, he takes a jump. So I think yeah, he he definitely deserves most improved. You know, in terms of the results, I like the most. I mentioned my case for Zverev. How can you not be most excited about him? I know this is to the youngest player, but in terms of the player who's both young and has the most upside, it's got to be Zverev. I just think he's developing so had well. One more time on tour, he looked great. And it's a testament to him. But I just I don't like one-handed backhands. I think I've made that yeah, clear. Yeah, and that's not. I'm sorry, Dennis, but I'm Team Zverev. He's my star of tomorrow today. Um, also, shout out to Emirates for sponsoring that. Because we want Emirates as a sponsor. We're the podcast of tomorrow. So, like, <laughs> hook us up, Emirates. Max Rothman, name an award you want to talk about. I think it's definitely interesting to look at the, the ATP World Tour fans' favorite. If you couldn't guess this, I'd be surprised. It is Roger Federer. And Hold on. Who are you asking that question to? To me or just to the fans? Just to the fans. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the fans voted him Mom, in. Mom, so. that's you? Yeah. <laughs> He has won the fans' favorite for the last 15 years in a row. That's nuts. 15? Yeah, since 2000. Since 2003. Dude, what about Murray? Nope. Dude, Murray's <laughs> not even on here. Who do you think deserves that award? Oh, by the way, we forgot to ask. Max Fligner, ATP star of tomorrow. Is it Chapovalov? Uh, no, it's Zverev. He also says Zverev. That's another Getting point for the Alex arguing. Um. I mean, that's ridiculous. It should be the most exciting player on the tour. The two, the player who amazed us the most. That should be the one who the fans are behind. But they love Fed. The man... It's hard not to love him. I know. He's just a class Beautiful class act. Okay, what about... Here's another one. Comeback player of the year. Can you guess who won? So, yeah. And this is... I was going to talk about this earlier and how I thought Fed should be the number one player of the year because of kind of this comeback season and and that's why i think he won comeback player of the year to come from the season last year where was you know in a lot of people's eyes disappointing which is ridiculous because he's still making semifinals or grand slams 
But to come back and win two Grand Slams this year is pretty impressive. Well, I wish I was smarter because then I would have mentioned this argument earlier. Someone who doesn't play the full season, a guy who's skipping clay courts and, you know, not there is something to be Jeez, said 35. about. I agree with that, but can you really consider yourself the player of the year? I mean, in Fett's case, maybe you can, given how well he played in the tournaments he played. But if you're skipping a full portion of the season, you know you're not having as much of an impact as an Alex Virev, as a Dominic team, a Grigor Dimitrov who does well, you know, beginning through end of the year. I think that is kind of disqualifying. I agree with you. Comeback player of the year, definitely fed. He, he was injured, and he wins two slams. Another shout-out goes to Kevin Anderson, a, a guy who was injured but makes the final at the U.S. Open, so he looks great. I think, mo- uh, think comeback player of the year is going to be the most fun award of 2018 because of how many injuries we had. So. I agree. That'll be interesting. Okay, who's your? give me your dark horse. We're going to Vegas tomorrow. Who's your uh, comeback player of the year for 2018? <laughs> I'm making a bet on this. I want to say Warinka. Oh, I'm saying Murray. I, oh, really? <laughs> Shocker. Uh, fine, not Murray. Murray. Novak Djokovic, dude. Oh, okay. That Flingner says you know, Djokovic. Uh, yeah, of course. Who are you taking? You're saying Warinka? Yeah. Okay. We'll move on again. So, yeah, two other awards where one person or a pair has won for the last bunch of years. For the fans' favorite team, of course, the Bryan brothers have won. 13 years in a row. That's ridiculous. There are so many great doubles players out there who deserve yeah, this award. Yeah, come on. You, you gotta love the Brian yeah, brothers. I They're love fun. Rajiv Ram and Robin Klaassen. Yeah, are but so Brian fun to watch. Yeah, classic. but no one follows tennis closely enough to know who Okay, or or Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez. Or again, how about how about the back-to-back World Tour doubles finalist champions, Piers and Continent? They're amazing. Yes, because we know them and they're great and we enjoy watching them. I don't even fan know Fan favorites, <laughs> Brian brothers. Anyways, uh, well, they won the last 12 years in a row. Also, Sportsmanship Award has gone to our favorite, Roger Federer. Your favorite. My favorite. Since 2004, except for one year that Nadal won. Not sure what he did to do that. But, <laughs> but he he let Fed win the French Open that year. Yeah, so, so they gave him the award. award. That's funny. Also, they have a, a award for tournaments of the year. and I have that in my category. And again, this is all a prelude to a column I'm hoping to write for Cracked Rackets. And, you know... I agree, actually, with the tournament of the year. For the last couple of years, it's been Indian Wells, and I would agree. It attracts all of the top guys. It's in a beautiful area in Southern California. Great site. I, I don't see why it shouldn't win. So I'm feeling cocky, so I'm going to give you five seconds to retract your answer and say the correct answer. Four, three, correct answer. two, one. USTA tennis, tennis on campus. Okay, I was wrong. That's the actual <laughs> best answer. My other answer, Labor Cup. Tournament of the year. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, so I, I actually, no, I'll agree. They they only have this in categories by ATP World Tour Masters 1000s, 500s, and 250s. That's fair. So, but yes, Labor Cup, if I had to retract it, that is the new best tournament. It's just got to so be a fun. thing every year. Yeah, and would we do rotating captains or do we want it to stay as McEnroe and Borg? I think they should keep the teams for a couple years and then hand it off to someone else. Mm. Or, I, I or, say rotate. What if we did Sampras Agassi next year? <sighs> That'd be awesome. That'd be, or like Fed Nadal, and they just say, screw it, we're going to do player coaches. <laughs> or they do like a fierce rivalry, like Gonzo Stepanik. <laughs> You're calling that a fierce rivalry? You saw him get pegged. Yeah, but okay. I don't know. Or like in a battle of... Relevant 2000s players, Davidenko and Lubacic. <laughs> <laughs> or we bring up like a random, like 
Gustavo Cuerton and uh, Alberto Costa, the two <laughs> random French Open champions, or like Armin Molino at neighbor <coughs> do a sports club thing. Um, ooh, or oh no, they would. I was gonna say make it. Yeah, okay, I'm losing it. As you can tell. <coughs> okay, our last award. This is a fun one. Oh, don't close your eyes. How about you focus for I'm two seconds? My eyes. <laughs> Get out of here. The last award. The Daenerys Targaryen Jon Snow unlikely pairing of the year. There is only well, I guess there's two nominations. We have to say David Lee and Caroline Wozniacki <laughs> and Serena Williams and the really rich guy who's incredibly lucky and gets Serena. What's what's his name? Alexis Ohanian. He's, what does he do again? I don't. He's remember. a co-founder. And he's a co-founder chairman of Reddit. Of Reddit. Of Reddit. That's. <laughs> And now he's married to Serena. That now he's the real. Well, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous of both of them. Yeah, I, I could make a lot of jokes about that right now, but I'm gonna not. Go what down are you joke? There are. Jo- it's not an incest joke. It's more just to get a Game oh of Thrones. Oh my god, joking. I wasn't saying incest. Well, I said, called it the Daenerys, Daenerys Targaryen yeah. Jon Snow. I just did that to be funny. Power so it's late. Yeah, we're losing it. All yeah. right, I think it's that time. Really fun year in the 2017 tour. We're really looking forward to 2018. Uh, again, we will ask you, the listener, please go check out and subscribe to the Great Shot Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on all of those various apps. Give us a rating. You know, we're in for the five stars. Write us a review. Recommend us to your friends, please. The best Christmas gift you could give would be taking your friend's phone and subscribing to the Great Shot Podcast. We also ask you again. Check out CrackedRackets.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to Cracked Interviews. Am I missing any plugs, Max or Othman? Oh, be so. on the lookout for our new series coming up. We've got a lot of fun content on Cracked Rackets. We're hoping to do some fun deep dives into rivalries, into the best stories in tennis. You know, all these Christmas gifts Santa's going to bring from the Cracked Rackets team, and we're hoping to bring it right to your front door. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, saying, I'm, all that being said, thank you for bearing with us. We're so happy to be here. We're so happy to have, you know, been on this journey. Thank you, Cracked Rackets. Thank you to everyone who listens. And Alex, for one last time in 2017. No, I'm not done yet because I that, I need to thank Fliegner as well one last time. Max Fliegner, our wonderful super producer. Agreed. Who has a the hell man. of an editing job to do as always. We could not have done this podcast without you. Again, to the Cracked Rackets team, we love being a part of you. Thank you to everyone who's listening. We look forward to getting back to you in 2018. And as Max Rothman said, one last time, we say to you, Hey, great shot. And we'll see you in 2018. Happy New Year, everyone. A Great Shot Production.